Welcome back to The Land of Desire, a podcast about the weird, wacky, and wonderful stories from French history and culture. I'm your host, Diana, and here in San Francisco, spring is in the air. Birds are singing, flowers are blooming, and the lovely soundtrack to spring is here, the buzzing of the bees. Today, I'm leaving behind the mass graves and skeleton sculptures of last week's episode, and I'm focusing on an underappreciated member of French society, la baie, or the honeybee. As anyone who's tried to buy produce at an open-air market in Paris knows all too well, honeybees are everywhere in French cities. But the reasons why may surprise you and they will definitely charm you. So this week, grab yourself a honey bun and enjoy the sweet life in Paris. On June 12, 1804, the newly declared emperor, Napoleon Bonaparte, gathered his most trusted advisors together to focus on a very important imperial task, rebranding. What was to be the logo of the new empire? The front runner was the rooster, the ancient symbol of the Gauls. And by the way, if you've ever wondered why every old French lady is obsessed with collecting ceramic roosters in her kitchen, now you know why. But Napoleon wanted other options besides the rooster, and his advisors fell over themselves to offer them up. What about an eagle? Or a lion? What about an elephant? What about an oak tree? What about an ear of corn? Believe it or not, ear of corn was not the worst suggestion of the day. That has to belong to one brilliant guy who proposed the fleur de lis, aka the symbol of the Bourbon Kings, aka the symbol of the recently beheaded Louis XVI. After the rest of the table rolled its eyes at that moron, Napoleon said, Fine, whatever, an eagle is fine. The only problem was, the eagle is kind of a neutral symbol. Yeah, it's really majestic and all, but it's not particularly French. So the next day, Napoleon decided to claim another, second symbol for himself and his family. A creature associated not with stupid recent kings, but with ancient, honored kings, the earliest kings of France. Their symbol was the bee. Bees decorated the tomb of the 5th century French king Childeric I, founder of the ancient Merovingian dynasty. Soon, those bees would decorate not graves, but Napoleonic carpets, books, curtains, thrones, plates, hats, and anything else which could stand still long enough to get embroidered or stamped in the years to come. The bee was industrious, deadly, and organized. But more importantly to a young man dreaming of eternal glory, the bee was considered the symbol of regeneration and immortality. But as we'll learn today, the 21st century is putting that claim to the test. 
For most of French history, beekeeping was the responsibility of monks. You know those fat medieval monks always showing up in Robin Hood? It's no wonder they're tubby, because when monks weren't busy praying, they were busy making things like ale and bread and honey. Yum. Honey was a sweet little side effect. Back then, it was really the beeswax that the monks were after in order to make all of those devotional candles. Of course, honey also has incredible preservative properties, and it helped food last in an age without refrigeration. But, you know, those monks are not going to say no to eating a little honey, and they're definitely not going to say no to a little mead, or, as the French call it, hydromel. Unfortunately for honey lovers everywhere, when the French Revolution revolted against the church and began confiscating abbeys and booting out all the monks, nobody was around to pick up the slack. As one writer noted in 1860, the bees used before the revolution to be reared by the curés and hermits, they are now much neglected. In the last half century, the quantity of honey yearly collected has decreased by one half. Sacre bleu! The decline of monk-reared bees and the migration of French people from the countryside into the cities following the Industrial Revolution meant that one thing was certain. If Parisians wanted sweet treats, they were going to have to raise the bees themselves. And by golly, did they want sweet treats. Right around the time that the author above was bemoaning France's lack of honey, one industrious Parisian was doing something about it. In 1856, the city of Paris granted a license to Henri Arnay to establish an apiary, a.k.a. a bee farm, in the Luxembourg Gardens. He built no fewer than 20 hives, but Arnay didn't stop there. Recognizing the need for more beekeepers in Paris, Arnay began offering classes to any locals brave enough to stick their arm in a box of bees. The response was overwhelming, and soon apiaries began popping up in parks throughout the city. Urban beekeeping became a thing, and any city official with a sweet tooth was only too happy to grant permit after permit to install hives all across their district. One hive in the 13th arrondissement had transparent walls to help show schoolchildren how the magic is made. Another installation in the Parc Georges Brasson has taught over 35,000 students the art of beekeeping. Unfortunately, during this first golden age of urban beekeeping, sometimes the beekeepers' enthusiasm was outstripping their abilities, and amateur beekeepers were known to accidentally unleash swarms of bees onto city streets or unsuspecting farm animals. As early as 1868, a beekeeping association was formed to help pay for bee damage. Whoops. Sometimes, the wrath of the bees took on a more patriotic note. During the Prussian invasion of the War of 1870, foreign troops tried to harvest the French honey for themselves. But as one amused beekeeper wrote to his friend, the German soldiers tried to make requisitions of honey from my apiary and assured me of their beekeeping knowledge. They then turned the beehives upside down and broke open the hive with their hands. 
The bees were not as easy to conquer as the village inhabitants, and they attacked the German soldiers before flying over the wall, over the hedge, and far away. Nevertheless, despite the interruption, beekeeping lessons continued throughout the cities, and in the Luxembourg Gardens, those classes continue even to this day. One student of the Luxembourg Garden classes would take beekeeping to whole new heights, literally. Jean Pocton was a young prop artist and set painter at the Palais Garnier Opera House. One day, the beekeeping enthusiast had a box of bees delivered to him at work. You know, as you do. Intending to take the bees home to his country house later that week, Jean needed a place to store the bees in the meantime, since they wouldn't live very long trapped inside of a box. It's at this point in the story that I really begin wondering just what on earth they're up to in the Palais Garnier Opera House, because another staff member spoke up, saying, Hey, you know, I grow my own trout in the water cisterns underneath the Opera House. Why don't you grow your bees on top of the Opera House roof? Apparently, the incredibly elegant Palais Garnier Opera House also doubles as a 4-H club after hours. Anyway, the idea worked, and the bees apparently had very discerning taste because they loved their elegant new home. When word got out about the man keeping bees in the Paris Opera, the city was charmed. What could be more chic than honey made by hand on the roof of the opera? In 2013, Jean Pocton was asked to please, we are begging you, retire and stop climbing rickety old ladders on the roof. By the time he waved goodbye to his rooftop, Jean Pocton's hives managed 75,000 bees who produced over 1,000 pounds of honey every year. As it turns out, honeybees love city life. Unfortunately, they don't live anywhere else anymore. France, like the rest of the world, is currently suffering from colony collapse disorder. Staggering numbers of the world's bee population are dying mysteriously, and they threaten to take the world's fruit and vegetables with them. Poor harvests and dry spells make country bees desperate. A few years ago, French bees made the news in a bad way after they developed a disturbing new habit. The hungry bees had found their way to an M&M factory, and they began eating the leftover dyed sugar from the production floor, until all of a sudden they started producing blue honey. It's not a happy time to be a bee in the French countryside. Yet, weirdly enough, Honeybees are thriving in Paris. A country bee, in a good year, might produce about 66 pounds of honey. And let's take a moment and give a little applause to the country bee. That's still a heck of a lot of honey. But your average Parisian bee produces 110 pounds. Nobody's quite sure why this is, but there are a few guesses. Thanks to things like asphalt and concrete, cities usually have warmer ambient temperatures than the countryside, and that means a longer season for the bees. And what a season it is! 
Paris offers far more biodiversity with all of its different types of trees and parks and balcony gardens, lots more to choose from than your average monocrop farm. Among some of the tasty offerings to the bees are things like sophora trees, those sweet, sleepy-looking trees which line so many Parisian streets and shade so many cafe-goers. Sophora trees don't even begin blooming until August, which means bees can keep on collecting pollen and making honey right up until the edge of winter. One final hypothesis is pretty simple and straightforward. Paris has been a pesticide-free zone since 2006. Once word got out that honeybees were crazy for Paris, Paris went crazy for honeybees. Parisians love their fuzzy friends, and keeping a hive on one's roof has been the hottest trend for the last couple of years. You can now find hives on top of the Weston Hotel on the Rue de Rivoli. You can find hives on top of the legendary Tour de Jean restaurant, which serves on its menu roast duckling with spices and honey from our roof. In case you doubted how fashionable beekeeping has become, there's even a hive on top of the headquarters of Louis Vuitton. One lucky beekeeper manages hives on top of both the Grand Palais and Notre Dame Cathedral itself. Yet among all of these different honey-crazy bee enthusiasts, one man stands head and shoulders above the rest, literally. Audric de Campeau first tried his hand at beekeeping as a teenager. It was a pretty bold move since his father is severely allergic to bees. Yet the young enthusiast taught himself the art, and even when he left the countryside to attend college in Paris, he came back to tend his hives every weekend. It was at this point that Audric learned about the legendary hives of the Paris Opera and the Luxembourg Gardens. And at this point, he knew that it was time for his beloved hobby to follow him to the big city. He wrote letters to city officials at just about every major landmark in Paris asking for space to set up a hive. While most of his letters were ignored, two received an answer. Nothing less than the Musée d'Orsay and Les Invalides, the military museum. Both institutions were delighted to grant him access to their roofs maybe in exchange for a little rent money. Slowly but surely, Audric installed hives all over the Paris skyline. Even when he took a big job in Switzerland, Audric returned every weekend to tend to his hives until he finally made the choice to pursue urban beekeeping full time. Now, every few days, Audric climbs rickety ladders and climbs across ancient rooftops to check on his hives, enjoying incredible private views of the city while he tends to his fuzzy little workers. In the off-season, while his bees hibernate, Audric pursues his other hobby and puts the honey to good use. Readers, I lied to you. We aren't entirely escaping the theme of last week's episode. Because it turns out that there's one location in the city which is absolutely perfect for the amateur beekeeper trying to brew mead. One location with cool, stable temperatures, no pollution, no noise, and good security. You guessed it, the catacombs. 
I grow my bees 20 to 25 meters above Paris, says Audric, and I grow my mead 20 to 25 meters under Paris. Between unparalleled access to the city's skies and unauthorized access to the city's underground, Audric's quaint country hobby has transformed into an urban adventure. This view is such a privilege, he told one magazine, that I don't even count my hours. My back hurts, but I pay my friends in honey and mead. In my opinion, the most charming fact about French beekeeping is that it's dominated by folks who do it for the love of bees. I'm a 21st century girl, and I'm used to agriculture run by corporations, farms that go on for miles, and industrial-sized harvests. France definitely has its professional beekeeping operations. There are about 2,000 gigantic commercial enterprises today, and they do still yield most of the nation's honey. But they don't yield most of the nation's beekeepers. French beekeeping is, to this day, a very personal, very cherished household tradition. Today, over 70,000 French beekeepers raise bees, not for money, maybe not even for honey, but for the pleasure of helping the bees who help us. And help us, they do. 30% of the human diet is made possible by bees. Yet colony collapse disorder threatens world agriculture everywhere, and France is no exception. In 1995, France produced 32,000 tons of honey. By 2011, it produced only 20,000 tons. And only three years later, in 2014, France produced only 10,000 tons. As the countryside desperately tries to solve the mystery of its disappearing bees, cities like Paris are stepping up to the plate to create a beautiful environment for its fuzzy friends. A 2015 Paris City policy instructs the government to begin building tiny flower gardens on top of its bus shelters to help feed the bees. Beekeeping classes continue to this day in the Luxembourg Gardens. Today, Paris counts over 700 hives stored in parks, backyards, and rooftops across the city, including those of the national government. Every few days, Audric de Campo treks out with the rest of his fellow urban beekeepers to check on his hives. Dragging his heavy boxes out to a marshy moat in the 7th arrondissement, Audric maintains nearly a dozen hives surrounded by flowering trees. Here, in this moat, this particular group of bees honor their reputation for well-organized labor, working tirelessly to turn pollen into liquid gold. Here and there, a bee escapes, flying up and up and up, circling the great stained glass roofs and brilliant windows of Les Invalides. If he weren't so focused on his work, a curious bee might peek through the windows, where he would see the great leader that they once called the bee. Resting in the crypt of Les Invalides, Napoleon Bonaparte himself spends his days surrounded by his buzzing namesakes. At a time of great peril, the legendary regeneration of the honeybee is being tested. But here, tucked into the tall grass, stored away on city roofs, 
even tended carefully in the great cathedrals, Parisian bees are thriving, growing, and we all hope, immortal. Thank you for listening to The Land of Desire. My name is Diana, and I research, write, and produce every episode of the show. To learn more about sources for today's episode, visit the website at www.thelandofdesire.com. On The Land of Desire's Facebook page, I'll share more information about some of the organizations we featured here today. In case you want to purchase a little Parisian-grown honey for yourself, or contribute a donation to help French honeybees. This week, I have a challenge for my listeners. Spread the word. Tell your Facebook friends about the show or share one of the Facebook page's posts on your own wall. Write about the podcast on Twitter or Instagram or Reddit or simply reach out to a friend who loves podcasts and let them know about the show. Think about the places that you find great podcast recommendations. One of the hardest challenges for a podcast producer is getting the word out about the show. And there's no better resource than you, my lovely, amazing, intelligent listeners. It's through your social media mentions, your iTunes reviews, and above all, your word of mouth that more people find out about the show. So thank you again for everything that you do. Join me for our next episode in two weeks. Until then, au revoir!